Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming out this morning and gathering for worship. We're going to be turning our attention for a few minutes to Psalm 69, which we just recited together. And we're going to read that again in just a moment. But before we read that psalm, if you notice, there's just a theme of deep trouble in that psalm. Of all the psalms that David writes, and he writes a number of psalms that deal with trouble, this is the one that seems, at least at face value, as the most desperate, um, exhausted, um, not hopeless, because he's still articulating hope, but David is absolutely wrung out when he writes this psalm. But David's not unfamiliar with trouble. I want to read another very familiar passage from 1 Samuel when David faces another kind of trouble. And this time, uh, he puts his trust in God, and God delivers him that very hour through this trouble, and David emerges unscathed. Sometimes it's like that. Let's listen. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David, as an old man writing Psalm 69, is not unfamiliar with trouble. He was a teenager when he said those words to Goliath on that battlefield that morning. David is no stranger to trouble, but as we open Psalm 69, as we've said, this is the worst kind of trouble he's been in. We don't really know the details this is the lowest, though, that we've ever seen him. So as we listen to the words of this psalm, let's listen to that theme of, of this deep trouble that David is in. He says, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach 
When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. These are deep, consuming times of trouble for which there is no end in sight. Whatever is going on right now in David's life has been going on for a long time. And he's been praying for a long time. And nothing has changed. These are deep, consuming times of trouble. The concluding sentence of the Upper Room Discourse, when Jesus is speaking with his disciples right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, the very last sentence in that entire, if you look in your Bible in, in the Gospel of John 14, 15, 16, it's just all these red-letter chapters. And at the very end of that very long discourse, Jesus says, in conclusion, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That word tribulation is kind of a fancy way to say sufferings, afflictions, persecution, heavy burdens, deep troubles. In this world, Jesus is promising them, it's going to be like this sometimes. It just is. There are going to be times in your life where you will be in tribulation. Not like the one that David faced with Goliath where it's kind of like blows in in the morning and blows out by dinner time or lunchtime and you're unscathed by it, but it was scary, but, but it's over. Jesus is saying, no, there, certainly that will happen, but tribulation isn't that. Jesus is saying there will be times in your life where for a long period of time you will be squeezed. You will be wrung out. You will come to the end of yourself. You will pray and you will cry out and you will be attacked without cause. You will stumble into sin like David has alluded to here and create your own mess. Whatever the cause or the nature of it, Jesus is saying to his disciples, there will be times in your life of prolonged, deep trouble where there's no end in sight. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This isn't the last chapter. Even if you die in the middle of that, it's not the last chapter. So where does this trouble come from for David? Let's just make a few observations from this passage and then, and then tie it together. We don't really know. We, we see in, in verse 4 that this trouble is about people hating me without cause those who would destroy me, people who are attacking me with lies and, and becoming a byword for people, like a punchline, becoming the subject of um, the songs of drunkards. So 
and, and a stranger to his brothers, an alien to his mother's sons. David is isolated from people and, and has become a mockery to people. But he also understands that his own sins and failures may be involved and may be contributing. He says in verse 5, right after that, O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Deep trouble is complicated. And a lot of times, even if it starts as someone else's thing against us, we make it worse by the way that we respond. Or maybe we initiate something wrong, some evil. We do something wrong and it just blows up. And before we know it, we're just in this mess and we don't know how to fix it. People around us are suffering. People around David are suffering. And he's asking that God would spare them and that they wouldn't come to dishonor or shame because of what David has done or is going through. I don't know about you, but I know for me, when I have been in times of prolonged and complicated trouble, um, I do the wrong things. Uh, my first moves in, in those moments usually aren't to, to pray. Um, maybe they are, but also uh, if it's really painful, um, maybe you can identify with hiding from your trouble or denying it. Just thinking it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be better in the morning. I'm just going to soldier through this. Um, maybe to brood or constantly rehearse what's going on, especially if you've been wronged, to just like a cow chewing cud, like to just pull that up and, and chew on it and to think about it constantly and rehearse it. To complain internally, to complain to other people, to numb the pain somehow with alcohol or, or some other kind of distraction, to lash out at people. Certainly we experience all these things and have experienced these things from other people when they're going through pain and deep trouble. Eventually, though, we pray. But that's tricky. Um, I think that maybe uh, we might assume that, well, if we stop and humble ourselves and pray, well, then God's going to show up and fix it. I'm not saying not to pray. I'm just saying I don't think that it works that way. It wasn't working that way for David. David says, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. David, in the midst of this trouble, is constantly praying and constantly crying out for deliverance such that he says his throat is parched. His eyes are weak. He's not sleeping. His eyes are weak, straining to find God in this picture somewhere. And he can't see God. So he's already doing the right thing, but that doesn't put it on God to show up and sweep away the trouble. David has been praying. He has been humbling himself before God. He humbled himself with fasting. He made sackcloth his clothing, but yet the trouble remains. But here's the thing. David keeps talking to God about it. He doesn't stop. His throat is already parched. His eyes are already dim, but he's not quitting. He knows that this isn't his last chapter. Even if he dies in the midst of this, that death will only be a comma. And on the other side opens up him being in the house of the Lord forever and dwelling with God and seeing him face to face and abiding in his temple with God forever. So David doesn't stop. He's been praying. He's been doing the right things, but he's continuing 
to bring his primary emotions to God. He's continuing to come to God and talk about his anger and his sorrow and his fear and his feelings of abandonment and his weariness. He's talking to God about it. Let's listen again to verse 13 through 18. He says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, Yahweh. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Notice there, he says, at an acceptable time. Obviously, it's not today. It wasn't yesterday. It wasn't six months ago. God, I know you're out there. At an acceptable time, answer me in your saving faithfulness. I'm not going to stop asking. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. As we hear those five or six verses, it, it kind of reminds us of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? And David is here, a man of sorrows, a man of deep, abiding, seemingly endless sorrows as he says grace over whatever this deep trouble is, as he looks for God in this thicket of trouble. But he's not the last man of sorrows. As Jesus um, reveals, as he prays, as he cries out with loud cries, as the writer of Hebrews says, to deliver this cup, to find another way, to not let the pit close over me as I take every millstone off of every person's neck who will ever put their faith in me and as I get plunged into the abyss of paying for these sins, oh, don't let that be the end. That's terrifying. And Jesus, as he's praying, is asking God to deliver him, to not let that be the end. And, and Jesus, at the end of saying, you're going to have trouble but I have overcome the world. He says that before this. And now as we gather this morning, as with every Sunday, because it's Resurrection Sunday, every Sunday, we gather together celebrating the triumph of this Jesus who faced this trouble for us and was raised on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God on your behalf. And he's not just sitting there with his feet up, waiting for the Father to tell him the next thing to do. Jesus is there actively interceding for you. Even if you can identify, or at some point in your life, will identify with Psalm 69, Jesus hasn't left you alone. You're not a stranger to this brother. This great high priest was tempted in every way, just as you are, and yet is without sin. And as he sits at the Father's right hand, his wounds are speaking for you that you will come home. And even if it's through daily deep trouble, Jesus assuredly is bringing you one day closer to seeing him face to face, connected to the other end of that anchor of your soul, which is Jesus seated at the right hand of God. So whatever our immediate circumstances, let's remember that Jesus 
went through it even worse, was raised from the dead, is the anchor of our soul, and every breath that you take is bringing you one breath closer to seeing him face to face. Even if he's pulling you through some sludge right now, he's doing it, and he's going to be on the other side of it. As we come to the table, it's an opportunity for us to to hear what David does here, to remember what Jesus does here, but, but more importantly, to see the risen Christ on the other side of this table inviting us to come. Break bread with me. Tell me all of it. If you're angry at me, let's talk. If you're hopeless, admit it. Let's talk. If you're weary and you feel abandoned and betrayed, let's talk. Let's keep talking. So as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I hope that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus stirs each of our hearts to draw near to him and to come to him, to be nourished by him, to be reminded by the sacrament and the Holy Spirit that we belong to him and that we're seated with him in the heavenly places. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.